1: What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host Mayu and Just Mayu. Today, Austin's not going to be joining us. Should Keep the preamble pretty quick. Usually, when Austin's not on here, it is pretty short. But in terms of like my current projects, and I guess what we're seeing on the market today, that's kind of the two things I'll just quickly talk about. So, current projects. Finally, got some heat going on in that cottage renovation of ours, right? So that's finally done. We should be able to finally move forward with the renovations. Great. Interestingly, I was taking a, a trip up there with my partner. I think it was last weekend. And we're just discussing like, we might just end up selling this cottage, right? So part of it, it comes down to, do we really want to set up and run an Airbnb business? For anyone that's in the Airbnb space, I'm sure you can kind of understand that it is very much building a business that requires you to really scale that business to bring on more properties under management to be able to truly benefit from kind of the efficiency that's in line with our guest today, which we'll talk about later. But we'll see what happens with that. So if anyone's interested, shoot me a DM on Instagram if you're serious. It is a fully new interior, five bed, three bath cottage in Minden, it's not directly on the water, but it's got about two or three acres of land, I believe. And it's got a great lot that honestly, we want to hold, but it's just more so I don't really want to set up an Airbnb business now in hindsight, right? So uh, we're happy to consider VTB offers just want to make a smooth, easy sale, or we'll just give it to a realtor eventually and see if we can list it and sell it. But we'll see what happens there. More importantly, we do have a RISE event coming up on January 29th from 9.30 to 12.30. We're going to be discussing everything we're seeing in the market, how we're pivoting our current investing strategy, how people are scaling the portfolio, strategies that works, the major risks, how to find deals in today's market. It's kind of an update on the normal real estate investing webinars that we've done historically, but it's kind of more pivoting into what we're seeing in the current market, what works, what doesn't, the major risks, the mistakes that some people are making and just overall kind of a market check. And hopefully we'll leave you guys with some actionable items to go out and buy your first, second, and third investment property in today's market. So enough about that. Like I said, whenever Austin's not on these preambles, it's usually pretty short. Today on the podcast, we have Emily. I actually met Emily when she was just getting started in this journey. She's definitely someone that moves fast, breaks barriers, and taking some decent risks, which have worked out for her, but there's definitely a lot to learn from her story. So she quit her nine to five earlier this year, focused full-time on the short-term rental market, and has grown an arbitrage business, the Claire Co and her PM portfolio over the last year with the focus being on bringing on multi-family properties and management and ownership portfolio. So we discussed the arbitrage strategy, how she sources listings, and then how she evaluates a market, managing interactions, and how she's optimized her listings to perform successfully. So I know Airbnb is a super sexy topic in today's world, especially with the constraints we face, increasing interest rates. Rents are increasing, but they're sticky in Ontario, right? So... You know, as always, guys, if you guys like this episode, make sure you drop a five star review, share it on social media and help us grow the podcast.
0: Hello, everyone. We are joined with our very special guest, Emily Belton. Emily, how is everything going?
2: It's going great. I cannot complain. You know, the sun is not shining, but I feel great today. So that's all that matters. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Sorry, you guys. You're doing good. This is going to be a second round actually shooting the intro because uh, my computer. Because
0: passed. you insulted her on her original intro. You said she was too tame. So now you
1: had to step it up. But I for anyone that doesn't know you, myself and Austin, have had quite a few conversations with you in the past. And I think you're definitely a high energy person, someone that's done a lot of stuff and tried a lot of stuff in a short period of time. So try and summarize, I guess, how you got started in real estate, what you've been up to and uh, yeah, just just your bio. <laughs>
0: Yeah,
2: for sure. I definitely really went hard into real estate when it was the COVID time. You know, a lot of people have more time on their hands, and I was trying to get out of my nine to five because I was not enjoying it. So I will do a little bit of a plug here. This isn't paid. I swear by you and Austin did pay me here, but the podcast that got me really going was the Rise One and also Bigger Pockets. So what really happened was is I listened to um, one of your guys' episodes way back when and you really spoke about you know coaching programs connecting with other people networking events and so that was really what got me started just connecting with a lot of like-minded individuals and so going into that program i met so many people that just pushed me forward and i'm a very competitive person i will say that so just seeing people leveling up themselves and making the, the money that they were and just enjoying their lives i was like i can definitely do this 100% so that's kind of how I got started. That was like a year and a half ago-ish. And so then after that, dibble and dabbled in a lot of things, you know, tried to buy my first investment property, went like super analysis paralysis, then lost out on a bunch of things, just like everyone else, because it was just such a great time um, for buying and everyone was in a frenzy. But I have been dibbling and dabbling in the short-term rental side for a bit of time and my parent apartment and everything like that. So I found a knack for it. And then I heard of this thing called Airbnb Arbitrage. So did a little bit of, you know, YouTube university on that sucker and <laughs> really went full nose in, full feet in actually, and went all the way into Edmonton, picked up three right there off the bat, and then just went into it from there. So it really forced me to get those systems going and couldn't complain about when those systems were up and running. So <laughs> kept on going. And then I quit my nine to five in February and i not to look back and I'm so excited.
0: <laughs> <Keep going. laughs> There's so much to unpack there. The queen of arbitrage right here. So since you hated your nine to five, what most people don't realize is acquiring real estate is a long game, right? You're not going to be able to quit immediately. So it's good you actually landed on arbitrage, right? Because that gave you the avenue to be able to scale and get that cash flow going quickly. So then you could quit your job, continue to scale that business in the future. If you do decide to buy real estate, correct me if I'm wrong, you haven't purchased a property yet, right?
2: Yeah. So I part own some properties right now. I don't, 100% 100% own one in my own name. So that's definitely a goal in the future. But you definitely hit the nail on the head on that one. I was looking for some strategy within real estate investing that could produce a lot of active income and quite quickly. So Airbnb arbitrage or rental arbitrage was definitely something I was like, yes, this makes sense. So that's why.
1: <laughs> why exactly did you like arbitrage? How did you jump into things, right? Like, tell us a little bit about that. Because it's not a convention. Arbitrage probably started becoming like I don't even know if it was a word before 2020. I definitely never heard of it from anyone else for like Airbnb arbitrage. It's like a strategy, right? So yeah. it's definitely a little bit new and there were probably a lot of skeptics out there on the entire strategy. I'm just curious, like walk me through like how you like decided to jump into things, how, it went at first and, and so on.
2: Yeah. So right off the bat, I was trying to just use my capital that I had in the best form possible to be able to produce the like highest cash or cash return, right? So at that point, I went down a nice little rabbit hole and definitely discovered a few arbitragers, not only on Instagram, but also on YouTube. And it was like, okay, this isn't too bad. Thousands of phone calls later, just trying to convince the landlord, I was able to lock down some in Edmonton. And I definitely had a connection there, which made me a little bit more secure feeling. It's with the CFL teams. So that actually, those three units aren't even on Airbnb right now. We want to take all the cash in our pockets. So, we didn't want to allow Airbnb to take those service fees from either side. So, we just pocketed wow. the net there. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how it went in that direction and can't complain. Arbitrage is a very interesting, I'd say, strategy. And some people are a little apprehensive just because you don't own an asset, like a hard asset. You have to know your numbers, is one thing. Two, you have to know your area that you're going to be going into. And three, You really have to be confident in your, I'd say, operations behind running that listing or listings. So it's a great strategy to really leverage your capital because if you look at it, your upfront costs are way less than what it would be to start even a short-term rental of a purchased property in your own name, right? So that's also why I went down that rabbit hole because I could really expand my capital and instead of having one or two listings to purchase property with, right, and use that I could you know, expand and get six, seven, eight, nine with the same amount of capital used, right? And have a really much more higher ROI on my capital.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I've seen, I forgot whose story. I saw a story on, on Instagram where you can basically leverage from lines of credits for that initial capital, then move it over to a zero interest paying line of credit or credit card, and pretty much you're in for zero interest uh, debt, and then you can pay that down over time, right? Yes. With your profits. So let's start off with the very basics of Airbnb arbitrage market selection, right? I've struggled with that. I think I got in a phone call with you and I was talking about like I'm trying to figure out what market might make sense for me, where I'm going to find an advantage, so on and so forth. How did you decide in a market? Were you analyzing a few different markets and what got you to decide to do it in Edmonton, given that is that's long distance, right? That's not in your backyard. Most people will start in the province that they're in.
1: Yeah. I'm sorry. Hold on. I do want you to answer Austin's question, but before that, just for anyone that might not know, can you just explain what is Airbnb arbitrage and then jump into the fundamentals, which is basically market cycle selection?
2: Of course. Yeah. So basically, Airbnb arbitrage is when you go to a landlord and say, "Hey, I want to rent your unit out, and I'm going to list it on a short-term rental platform such as Airbnb. You pay them their lease, whatever the rent is that you've agreed upon, and if you agreed upon the, the actual utilities as well. That too, monthly payment comes straight into their pocket. You will upfront costs. So myself as the arbitrager will upfront cushions of that unit and then just run it as a normal short-term rentals. It's basically taking the net. You'll take out all your expenses after running the Airbnb, including your lease payment and utilities. And then you basically profit off of that, that margin off the top.
1: So are you usually paying a premium on what a landlord currently rents you? And then I guess what are some of the major like issues that you face going through that kind of like landlord arbitraging?
0: Well, Maya, you just skipped over my question
1: completely. I am coming back to, I'm coming back to, I'm coming back to
2: <laughs> Yeah, you'll definitely answer. I'll say okay. Um, so to touch on Mayus, first, um, it's just fresh in my head. One of the issues that landlords have all the time is the classic, like, Oh, well, I don't want random people coming through my apartment and it's going to trash, blah, blah, blah. Cause they have the horror stories from, the news publicizing the one in a million situation. What I always like to say is, one, I'm a business at the end of the day. If my unit looks like shit, use the language, then I'm not going to perform well. Guests aren't going to review me well. And I'm not going to be able to make my profits that I want to make at the end of the day. The unit has to be impeccable. It has to be in great condition because I won't perform. So I always have the standards of, one, I part own properties as well. I do this in those properties and I make sure those standards are super high. I will put the same standards on your own dumb units because I understand how much hard work goes into being able to afford to be able to purchase property for rentals, right? So I wanna keep the exact same comfort level as if they were renting to a 12 month tenant, right? In terms of the premium of paying for a lease, honestly, I've never done it. I've heard people who do. For me, I really just negotiate in terms of your unit's going to be in better condition than you were to have it as a long-term tenant renting out. Because at the end of the day, we have professional cleaners coming in, depending on the area, if it's, you know, catered towards long-term or longer-term stays for shorter-term rentals or short-term turnover, like more than like one or two stays per per week. You have professional cleaners coming in all the time. So your unit's going to be way better because I don't know if you guys clean your place, unless you have cleaners coming in every week. I don't know about you. I wouldn't every single week. I'm a clean person, but I'm not going to deep clean a place top uh, floor to ceiling sort of situation. So that's what I always say to them. And then we also have a, so I actually made a company cause I wanted to like incorporate it because I wanted to make sure that I had this goal that I need to attain in order for that to make sense for that incorporated company. I had to force myself to, you know, pivot and really grow fast. Right. So we have a commercial like an umbrella commercial liability policy, which we put on all of our properties and listings that we have, which also gives the landlord like a second sense of comfort because it's just additional coverage outside of short term rental platforms that provide the coverage as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Going into the negotiation part with the sellers, like how are you negotiating directly with sellers? Are you going via realtors? Are you going via property managers? How are you sourcing these sort of listings?
2: Oh, for the arbitrage, yeah. So the actual landlord is the golden ticket. I find most of the time that's when I get the winner, winner chicken dinner of a yes. So I always will try. And if it is listed by an agent or a property manager, I'll still try and make that connection to get to the landlord to ensure mm-hmm. that they have that confidence in me. So I really like to be just limiting the, I'd say, you know how it's like when you're when you're a little kid and you're doing that um. What's that game called where you're like passing along the message to the next person? Broken telephone? or (laughs) Thank you. It was in the back of my head. Yeah, it's a broken telephone. You want to go straight to the source. Ultimately, that individual is one making the choice in terms of who the tenant is. And so that's how I go. And if not, then usually it's a no. And when we're negotiating, we always make sure that we send references for people that we've worked in it with. In the past, slash currently working with, so that they have a little bit more confidence as well in how we run our business.
0: Hmm. Fair enough. And is there any common pushbacks? I guess you addressed some of them already, but how does the conversation generally go? Are you trying to get a decision on that first phone call? Or are you trying to build a relationship, follow up, and let them decide over maybe the course of a week?
2: That's a great question. So there's a couple of strategies that have been presented to me. And one of them is to go to the listings and really create that relationship and then present it right there and then, you know, falls to the wall. I do not recommend that for anyone. It's such a waste of time at the end of the day. Like why would you go out of your way? Most of us are not even investing in the GTA just because of the fact of the regulations, all that shit. But my best way and method to pick these up is to shoot the message, hey, I'm an investor myself, you know, I invest passively, but there's also a way that I get my active income coming in is I do this thing called arbitrage. And I'm very upfront with them. So it actually just totally takes out the, ooh, does he like me? Does he not like me? Or does she like me? Does she not like me? Will they say yes? Will they say no? It's a yes or no, I'm interested. And if they say yes right away off the bat, I'm happy to hop on a call. That's the last thing I say, just so we can t- talk further about what the arrangement would be. If they say yes, that's great. I already know in my mind that they're already considering this and this is almost the close. So it's way easier. I get my VA to do it and she just sends me the leads that say yes or no. And then, uh, well, yes. And then we go from there and it's just a lot faster process. Yeah, you could probably pick up a couple more if you build that relationship. But at the end of the day, there's only so much time <laughs> that you have. Right. So that's worked
1: for me. That's awesome. So when you reach out to landlords, are you doing this directly? Like, I'm assuming through like Kijiji, Facebook. Um, you're probably not going through the like on-market listings, right?
2: Yeah, no, I'm not going through on market. It's just Kijiji Facebook, keep it simple. And then we just have a criteria that we look for. We never do anything that's old, always newer build. So one to two years, it's been cosmetically run out at least. It actually easier on your sense because one, there's usually not as much maintenance that's involved. It looks better in pictures and, you know, Airbnb, like I say the Tinder of finding a place to stay. So that's always, you know, a
1: pro for you as well, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, going back to one of Austin's earlier questions. So how did you go about deciding what markets the Airbnb strategy would work in? And you kind of alluded to the fact that GTA, a lot of markets don't necessarily support Airbnb. You went all the way out to Edmonton. Walk us through kind of that entire process that led you out there.
2: Yeah, I had a connection out there. I'm not going to lie in terms of the football team. And it's interesting. The CFL, Canadian Football League, half the players are from the States. And they actually don't have any credit when they come up. Here. so when they're trying to find places to stay you'd think that the team would have lodging for them or residence nope so they're just on their own thrown to the wolves and they need to try and find somewhere to stay totally limits them in terms of what they can get because the season is very irregular in terms of the timing they have to be up end of april beginning of may then depending on how good or bad their team is they leave no end of november beginning of december so what landlord wants to rent to you plus if it's not furnished it's like Man, not to rent furniture. I've heard people do this rent furniture, which is another expense, or buy it and then try and sell it afterwards. It's just a whole hot mess. So, hearing about this, I'm like, hmm, what can we do here? Because they have housing allowance. So, it's not a small little penny that they are, are given. So, we basically took a bunch of places right close to the stadium and made that connection. And luckily, they have a contract with the hotel for their basically like a preseason and that's going to expire next year. So this is a little strategic on that sense. So we're just going to have those conversations later this year for what we can do for the next season. So mm-hmm. that's kind of really what brought me into Edmonton. And that's why I said like, it did bring me some comfort because it's super secure. Like at the end of the day, if someone gets cut and guy comes in, they need the rooms, they need the space to stay. And they prefer to be in not in a hotel and they prefer to have like their own space, their own kitchen, all that jazz. So that's kind of what brought me out to Edmonton.
0: There's a very important point that you mentioned there that I don't think enough people touch on is so the strategy is called Airbnb Arbitrage, but it's not necessarily only Airbnb. You get the most value from it when you have the connections and the resources to mm-hmm. find the people to stay in your place, it doesn't become a short-term rental. That type of strategy is a medium-term slash longer-term mm-hmm. rental. But you yeah. are getting those insane overnight rates, and that's like the perfect balance between both, right? Have you kind of expanded your business more into that space outside of just the CFL, but like cold calling? I don't know corporate stays or anything like that to try to get more yeah. business that way. Okay, yeah. so Can we talk about that?
2: Of course. Yeah, yeah. So um, in areas you know, any of the areas that I'm also in. So Hamilton, Niagara region, and now we're in Trenton and then Edmonton. We always, regardless of the strategy, if it's short-term rental or midterm rental, we will make as many connections and touches as possible with anyone who could be looking for a place and a first place to sit. So right off the bat, my teams will go, if it's near a hospital, they will go call the hospital, see if there's any programs that they relate to their traveling nurses or nurses they're staying students residency etc schools and then also for example the trenton place we just made a connection with the air force base that's literally a nine minute drive away so like we always want to have our backs covered in case one regulations turn around and you have to pivot yeah. or two there's slow seasons and there's, there's high seasons and high seasons are great. Low seasons, you got to make sure that you cover your behind sort of situation. And so those are great, great avenues to be able to do that. There's also a lot of like corporate executive rental companies. And so we'll always just put our listings out there as well. I'll hop on the phone call make that relationship and that connection. So they, know, I'm around.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's a really good strategy. Do you look for those opportunities first before you find the Airbnb arbitrage opportunities or do you find the Airbnb arbitrage opportunities? And then if I'm pretty sure you're finding the opportunities first, how do you decide what cities you want to have properties in? Have you focused in on certain areas? Like, how did you go about just like finding these opportunities? Great
2: question. There's mixed reviews about, you know, AirDNA, but you really just have to focus on a city and hit the ground running and see what those numbers are producing. Does it make sense to the rent? that you will have to pay and then in terms of what your ADR is and expected occupancy rates what can you take in what's your annual revenue right and if the numbers make sense at the end of the day if I can expand and I see a lot of opportunities then I'll go to that area it doesn't make sense for my team to build out something if it's only a one bed two bed situation it does it, it logically to expand you want to make sure that you can grow in that area because it takes a lot to train your cleaners, train your gopher, which is the handyman and really establish yourself to be a smooth, well running oiled machine. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of my opinion on that, but AirDNA really helped pay for the data, literally just pay for the one month, cancel it right away and go through it. Right. And Mm -hmm. so it can really give you some great insight and you can be like an area right away. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I went in, uh, seeing those markets. And then one thing too, is if you're dead set on an area, if you're not sure about the location that you're potential listing, look around you. like is there the large chain hotels around that the name name situation, but if they're close to your listing, you're guaranteed to have people wanting to come stay because they have way more dollars to spend on their due diligence in terms of where that location of that hotel should be. And if they're all clustering around an area, there's a reason why. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, right off the bat, if I see that there's like, you know, the Marriott, the Hilton, whatever, if it's around and close, that's a good sign as well. Hospitals, et cetera. It's kind of like, you know, long term investing as well with those signs. But mm-hmm. having those hotels is for definitely for arbitrage side slash short term rental thing
0: that's a great point you made there. And a lot of long-term investors say that as well. If you see like Costco's, Walmart, Starbucks are congregating in an area, you know that that is turning around and then similar, I guess, with arbitrage, but you're looking at other quote unquote competition like hotels, motels around that area. I want to get into the operations piece a bit. So you were mentioning having a handyman, you were mentioning training your cleaners. Now, who's on your team in a particular city? Let's say, Emily, you want to start an Airbnb arbitrage business and Barry, what are you doing? Like, what are the steps you're going to take?
2: So the steps that I'm taking is one, I have a portfolio manager. So she kind of like overall sees my entire portfolio, making sure that our teams within each city are good to go and in check. So if I'm going into Barry, she is already doing her due diligence and calling up the cleaners, the potential cleaners that we could have on board potential handyman that we can have on board and also creating a whole roster of as you guys would do in long-term investing as well and we do it is the traits because if your handyman can't fix it and it requires a little bit more of a specialized situation you want to have the ability for your VA your team members to call someone and not come knocking on your doorstep which is my doorstep right so we're creating a full roster a full power team out there uh, our minimum is 3 cleaners so we have an all-star, and then we have two backups basically. And that's cleaners, not just one, it's a cleaning team. So there's a cleaning team for one and then the two backup teams. And then for handyman's as well, which we call Gophers, same situation.
0: Okay. And how's the communication? Who's handling the communication between everyone? Especially if you have a ton of listings.
2: Yeah, definitely not me. I would not leave my phone. <laughs> uh, so that's our, actually we have messengers. We should probably come up with a better name for them. But they're the ones who are handling all the communication between the trifecta, I call them. And so that's the gopher, which is the handyman, cleaners, and then our messenger, right? So they're streamlining all communication between each other. They have basically just thresholds. And if they don't hit that threshold in terms of expenses, go right ahead. I don't need to hear about it. Fix it sort of situation. Mm. And so that really gives back time on my hands so I can do things that I like to do and, and mm-hmm. do specific things. <laughs> so not trying to be as much in the business sort of situation.
1: So have you been able to build out your team aside from like the local, like call it like city, city contacts or whatever, right? Um, have you been able to build the rest of your team using essentially VAs? And then I guess from there, is there a communication gap? Is there a communication barrier? with picking get the phone and calling people? Like, how do you go about building out a team that can interact with everyone else that's local?
2: Yeah, great question. So yeah, my whole team is virtual, except for Christy. Christy lives in GTA, but we run the company as a virtual company. And it's very important for us to do that because our long-term goals is to be able to travel and do this at the same time, continuously. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, our VAs, they're the ones that are communicating. We definitely had to do some lovely test trials with some people. You got to go through the ringer. It's with any type of hire, I would say, but we definitely have an all-star on our team and she trains everyone else. And she's the one who will handle any type of phone call that will occur. She's very inept with the English language. very good in that sense. Everyone else, there's basic standards that we have to onboard them. And they have to be able to communicate in a manner and in a way where it doesn't seem robotic <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> or from Google Translate or something like that. You know what I mean? So, yeah. No communication on my sense and my term, thank goodness. But I do like to get the juicy gossip once in a while, you know, like if there's a like Karen or a crazy guest, I'll just be like, hey guys, what's the update? You know, <laughs> what's
0: going on here? <laughs> Too funny. Yeah. Yeah. Just want to dig deeper into, again, like the team members. If an issue comes up with the property, you're not advising the owner of the property, you're handling that, you're paying yeah. out of your own pocket. So the owner of the property is not having to pay anything out of pocket, right? Correct.
2: And I will put an asterisk to that. If it's something that's like a CapEx expense, so, you know, refrigerator breaks down, so whatever, and it's not our issue, like a guest didn't you know, come with a sledgehammer situation, then that's on the owner, right? Because that's an expense that would have occurred anyway. It's not our issue. If it's something on us, 100%, we take care of it. Mm-hmm. That's our, our bad.
1: Yeah. What are some of those like common issues?
2: Yeah. Just classic wear and tear, people breaking glasses break um you know running into walls we've gotten a couple of holes in the wall because of suitcases <laughs> um <laughs> so that's one of those things but they're just light patches and like anyone does it in like less than 24 hours so their situation is not a big deal And it's been one or two situations and occurrences other than that nothing too crazy we really don't like to get the partiers so we do a minimum two night stay and that usually deters people away. We've only had one out of all bookings. So can't complain there.
1: Like holes in the walls are like the biggest issue that you guys usually have to deal with, especially because it's newer builds. So you're not really running into like plumbing issues and like electrical issues and no, stuff like that.
2: No, no, none of that at all. Like most of the issues, honestly, are with our furnishing stuff. And then mm-hmm. we straight replan. It's not an issue there. And then we just do an air cover or any type of other reimbursement that we need to go through.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, because Airbnb's policies are quite good as long as you're able to report it before the next turnover, if I remember. Yeah,
2: it's a little bit more flexible. We still have the rules that we got to have our reimbursement claim in before the next guest comes. Because at the end of the day, as long as you have the date stamp on your pictures, videos, whatever, that proves that you captured this between that turnover time then you're okay. It's mm-hmm. when you don't have that, then it gets a little bit iffy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So we still have that as an expectation. Like our cleaners go in right at 11 a.m. is their checkout time. And they're doing, I call it a sweep. And they just make sure that there's nothing that is out of place or damage that we need to report. And they need to report it right away because we actually will penalize our cleaners not to be mean or anything like that, but just to have that accountability.
0: Accountability, Yeah.
2: If that isn't reported,
0: that's really smart. So your cleaners are not only cleaning, but they're looking through the actual property and taking photos. If anything is out of place, that shouldn't be there. Right. And then they'll send it to you and and you go with the reporting process. How about the handyman, though? What's the expectation for the handyman? Because like if someone leaves at 11 and there's some repairs and a guest is coming at three, you have a very small window to get your shit together to clean it and repair everything before that next guest comes over. What's the expectation for the handyman? And how do you know they're going to be reliable enough to be like, I need you here at one and out by like two 30.
2: Right. Yeah. Great question there. So cleaners eyes and ears on ground. They have to let us know right away if they know it's going to be a major issue at the end of the day with the handyman that's why we have three back. Like that's why we have three on our roster at least because if one can't come, you know, you got two backup and they know that we will be calling them honestly at any time because sometimes these issues occur when guests are staying. So like one of my, the portfolio manager can get contacted by the messenger being like, Hey, this is an issue. This is what's going to be the solution. Cool or not cool. And the portfolio manager will be like, yes. So It's basically on a scale, depending on what the level of severity is of the issue, which thank God, knock on wood, we haven't had anything crazy yet. We have give ourselves 12 hours. So it has to be done within the next day of terms of like a 12 hour situation. If it's at night, then 12 hours from the 7 a.m. Situation. So that's kind of how our team runs. People are very, guests are very understanding as long as you're responding making them feel as though you care um, and giving that whole hospitality side of things. It really, really helped. And so say, for example, one time we had a clogged sink, they were unable to do their dishes because there's no dishwasher in that unit. And so we got our cleaner to bring over a gift basket, um, a bottle of wine, say our apologies. And then we really kind of passed the ownership on to the guest as well, being like, okay, so this is the issue we can have our handyman over tomorrow. What times work for you? And we already know that, you know, Bill, the handyman can be in at X amount of time, but we want to make sure that the guests feel as though we want to do the best for them. Cause some guests will be like, man, this problem doesn't bother me. Like do this when I leave, you know, I'm busy, but other guests will be like, Oh no, we're going out and doing some sightseeing. Like you can come in in the morning, no problem between this time. It just really helps on your sense because you kind of seem like a more kind, you know, caring host. And it really helps at the end of the day when they have
1: to review you. One more question kind of related to all this stuff with the maintenance and that kind of stuff. And I think this is something that's like, widely spread like Facebook and like short-term rental Academy on like Facebook groups and stuff like that? It's this concept of like guests just complaining for the sake of getting refunds, holding reviews kind of hostage, right? Have you had a lot of that or is it just more so the media just emphasizing the negatives like, right? Like, yeah, it's an experience.
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's honestly the the media, hold, you know, lot the love to idolize the negative side of things. I would say just with my experience and what's happened, we've had a few, you know, I call them Karen. Sorry, and all Karens out there listening, but they will like, complain about the most ridiculous things. All you got to do to make sure you cover your ass is your listing. You got to make sure you include everything in your listing that a guest will like, will come in contact with, will experience and do not lie. Like this is not the time to put your face of makeup on and and lie about what's underneath. You want to make sure that you're giving the expectations to the guest of what they're going to expect when they open that door. And as long as you put in, and I'm talking about down to the, like, if there is a portable AC, you want to say that there's one portable AC unit in that listing instead of just, stating it's an AC, like portable AC unit. You want to be very, very descriptive and put quantity amounts to it because there's no possible way, even if they do complain the guests, that you can be penalized. Like they can still write the review and blah, 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 blah. But if the review is not truthful because they're complaining about something that was already on the listing prior to them booking, it's the actual guest fault. So Airbnb will remove the listing because it doesn't apply to whatever policy, blah, blah, blah. So you just have to literally screenshot, show proof, and you're good to go. Yeah. And they'll remove it. We've had it happen before. Yeah. like, no, no, no. And it also saves your butt when they try and get a reimbursement because they're like, what the heck? No, What? The, no, I want to reimburse this. This is not what I want. And then if you just screenshot and show the Airbnb support is not the best, but when you have the proof, you just have to be like, I'm going to court situation, be as detailed as possible. And we won every single time. So take yeah. a complain there.
0: I have a funny story on my end on that, actually. It's happened to me where someone complained about something and I was they were just asking for a refund. I was like, yeah, absolutely. Go ahead and just like, it was a small thing. It wasn't a huge refund. I was like, OK, whatever. As long as he gives yeah. me a good review. And then he's like, as long as I get this partial refund, I'll leave you a good review. Right. And yeah. then he didn't click on the refund button right away but he left me a review. I was like, oh, this guy probably left me a negative review. And now, like, he wants to refund after the fact now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was just like, yeah, I have zero incentive to give you the refund now because you're already, like, shat on my review. But anyways, that's either here <laughs> or there. <laughs> just felt like I wanted to share that. <laughs> Continue on by you.
1: You have Airbnbs quite spread out, it sounds like, like, in quite a few different cities. When you're first getting into that city, how do you go about, like, setting up the Airbnb, right? Because I'm assuming you're not flying out to Tobago to build Ikea furniture or anything like that, right? So like there's furniture then there's cups, dishes, like all these like granular things, right? So how do you go about setting Hmm. that stuff up?
2: Yeah, well, we have this like, I call it the Bible, It's interior design sheet. And it literally has the quantity, like all of the rooms in each of the sheets and down to the quantity numbers link and where it's supposed to be in it. And what happens is, is you know how on most of our purchases are from Ikea, Amazon, and then Structube article. So we try and get them all to kind of land in terms of delivery at the same-ish time. I'd say a week, like within the week, right? Of where we're trying to start staging. And if it's far away, what we usually do is we try and build a relationship with the cleaners or someone who is near the property. And there's either a garage somewhere, all that stuff can be put. And we just pay them a little bit extra to when, because they're bulk shipments, once they come in, it's either we pay the delivery people to put it in that storage area, or we pay those cleaners or handyman to come give us a hand. So if it's as long as it's picked up and put into like a locked up area within like an hour or two of <laughs> receiving, then there's no porch parts. Knock on wood.
1: For that, <laughs> you have your handyman go in and like do the actual setup and like unbox everything, throw everything out.
2: So it's a mix, actually. So some handyman and then also some, uh, it's just like odd jobs people that we will source. And you kind of, I will say, not that you need to work in the business, but you need to know how long it actually takes to build a bed and how long it takes to build, you know, the average table, because you can get people who, you know, are in La La land and like to spend time listening to music, talking to friends, not you know working at their best capacity. So you really just want to make sure just because if you're doing this remote, that people aren't taking advantage of you and you're on like a good timeline. So if it's a two bed, one bath, it's going to take X amount of hours with X amount of men, right? Or women. So really try and keep track of that and have those numbers in your head. Because if you've never built stuff before, Honestly, there's some things that are a pain in the asses to build and they will take longer. And there's Mm -hmm. other things which take 2.5 seconds to build, right? So just having those estimates in your head will really help you when you're building up that team. But it's just odd job people on Kijiji and Facebook. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So no matter how hard you try to prevent that, the reality is it's going to be, it's just an issue that comes up in the business. It's just how you work around it. And you just don't hire those people again in the future.
2: Exactly. Well, I do a check-in like at 12, okay, where are we at? And if we're not at the rate that we should be, then I always have someone on site who I trust. And so I'm like, Hey, (laughs) what's happening? Like, why is there like a holdup situation or why are we behind? And Mm -hmm. I had to, you know, send people home. I'd rather honestly send someone home and not have them. than pay for their time sort of situation and try and get someone else to come in. So that's definitely what we do there. I've also heard which we're doing now is actually receive shipments and stuff. If you don't want to receive them at the place or you can't create that connection is to actually rent out a storage locker and have them all sent there. So that's also an alternative that people can do. And that's what we'll be doing in our next project.
0: Yeah. It's just about finding a creative solution. There's so, I think there's like a million more questions we can ask on the operational side, but we don't want to get like overly too in depth. And let's talk a little bit about optimization of your listing. New listing comes out. How do you make the best listing possible so that in two to three months from now, you know that this listing is going to perform?
2: Yeah, no, that's a great question. One is the, your cover photo. Your cover photo, that's a big one. It has to be your best shot. It's your money maker. It's the thing that attracts people's eyes to click into your listing. So at the end of the day, hire a professional photographer. You're going to regret it if you don't. Unless you're a professional photographer yourself for real estate, right? So that's number one is making sure that pops and you create a good visual there. Two is listing title itself. Kind of want to create a picture in the potential guest's mind of what they would be experiencing there, and then also some of the benefits.
0: G- give me an example of a title you have, <laughs> or, <laughs> or, or or a fancy title on the spot.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, like you could be like so. For one of our things is like a modern city central apartment with free parking because we were in downtown it was a niagara falls we're in there so there's no (laughs) parking and it's not free so there's an additional parking spot which is total positive right so we included that in the title and it was a newly renovated place so that's also why we put it in plus it was close to the downtown core of niagara falls so we put city central so we're really just breaking down and then the modern aspect just because of the features right Another one is the trail retreat because of the fact that it does feel like a retreat when you go there, just with how I decorated it. Right. So, um, and then we included the fact that it was close to the air force base and also it had free parking. So you just have to be able to really paint that picture in that individual's mind and highlight some key features. If you have a hot tub, put that you have a hot tub in the, then the title because that's always something that attracts people. Right. So yeah. Title description, 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 you want to put as much detail as possible. Like there's a little bit of a summary, you know, like the Coles Note version of what the guests can expect. And then you want to kind of, I like to bullet point it and break it down into so features and really put those bullets in there so people can see right away visually. Okay, cool. There's barbecue, there's a 50-inch smart TV, there's outdoor space, backyard, whatever, hot tub. And then I break it down into room and what individuals can expect there. As well and that's where i put the dedication of the quantity so if there is for example we allocate one towel per person like bath towel per person you want to put that in your listing because people will complain mm. <laughs> if you don't be like well they'll stay for two days and ask for a full replen of towels and that just makes no sense so <laughs> you just go oh, well just check the listing like apologies like are they dirty because if they're dirty sure we'll replen but they're not. So I'm so sorry. (laughs) Use a doll rack, you know, like sort of situation. There's a dryer in the unit, like that sort of thing. So, so that's the description. And then in terms of the pricing optimization, you really want to, there's two routes you can go. If you think it's a moneymaker and then you don't have a lot of competition in the area, price, price where you think you should be, you know, like whatever your value is, do it. At the end of the day, Airbnb is going to put that, well, you have to check it um, and some of the other platforms, but they'll discount you for, I believe it's three, four days or no, sorry, well, two days, two days, pardon me. They'll discount your listing. So whatever price you set and prices, it will discount it for anyone who books for any of the days that you open your calendar to. So that's a good way to get people in the door because it shows that you're discounted. Airbnb likes to push new listings up to the top anyway. So really those first few days are super, super crucial that you get those bookings through the door. If you see that there's no one it's like crickets situation, you might want to do a little bit more research on what you should be pricing yourself at, right? And maybe it means lowering your price and getting some people through the door, getting some reviews so people don't feel as uncomfortable booking your place without seeing, hey, this is a great place to stay, you know?
1: Interesting. I guess last question on mine, I think you you covered a lot. We basically did like a crash course here on Airbnb arbitrage, but the topic and the concept of Airbnb arbitrage has blown up like quite a bit in the last like one or two years, not just in like Ontario, but like really like anywhere in like North America, right. As a strategy, Ontario as well, for sure. Like you're seeing a lot, a lot of major cities as a result of the tenant risk and the shit that we have to deal with as landlords. A lot of people are taking their properties and throwing on an Airbnb instead. Right. So from your, when you look at markets, when you're looking at your business as a whole, like what are you seeing in terms of like the number of competition that's out there, occupancy rates, like how is it moving within various cities, right? And is there anything that you kind of do to monitor that or even just stay ahead of it?
2: Yeah, there definitely is a hype train that everyone's jumping on for short-term rental, just for the aspect of one, you know, the rate hikes and the squeeze that a lot of people are feeling they're trying to pivot or they're, I'd say strategy was to flip and they're not going to get the numbers. So I've definitely had quite a few people reach out in that sense that they're trying to, you know, pivot and decrease the amount that they're burning. I would say in terms of how we stand out is just making yourself unique. And that's a lot with design and really, and also the amenities that you show the guests and providing great service. So those things really help you stand out. Like people still look at the reviews, even if you get a shitty guest here and there, like Austin, when you have that person, you know, give that review you really want to use that review as an opportunity to show potential guests that are booking that might want to book what you did to fix that issue that has been complained. What did you do to like address the concerns of the guests that whatever they said in that public review. Right. And so then that gives you the ability to then convert a person that is like, "Mm, I don't know, because this rental has 4.5 or whatever. It's not a five star. Right. So
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. So it comes down to like just reviews at the end of the day and uh, engagement. Reviews and engagement.
2: I would really say it's honestly it's one making yourself unique because there's such a sea of listings out there right now. So you really can't be just providing the basic necessities. You need to have fully stocked kitchens. You need to have the ability to have the you know premium linens, not having shitty mattresses, that sort of situation. Because standards are high. People are looking for things that. Are above the standards of the two years ago Airbnb short term rental market. Mm -hmm. And so you really can't just be putting stuff together from Facebook Marketplace or an IKEA catalog sort of setup, right?
0: So, how do you communicate that though? Like, how do you say, like, oh, our mattresses are better than other competitors? Or Mm -hmm. how are people supposed to know that? Or is that like ultimately reflected in their reviews?
2: It's in the listing description, like we literally say we have premium mattresses, depending on where it is, what we use. Right. And then we say what type of linens we have. Right. So it says that we have the premium linens and, you know, down to the actual is a cotton, how many, you know, for account that sort of mm-hmm. situation, you can put that in the description. That's why I said, like, it's really good to have a lot of detail. People will go into that. So that can really help you stay Sorry, go
1: ahead. I know I said I was on my last question, but so how much are you spending like furnishing, call it a three bedroom unit? Like how much do you normally spend? Because it sounds like a lot of your stuff is top of the line, right? You can go really cheap with this stuff and just get like Ikea, everything. and like, I don't know, like one of those like $200 mattresses, but it sounds like you're spending a decent amount. So like, I'm just curious.
2: Yeah, no, uh, great question. I am all for Ikea. Don't get me wrong. I do still furnished stuff in my units like yeah I'm just saying you can't you know literally copy paste an entire room from the catalog in terms of a three bed like one bath situation we're looking at a spend of 17,000 20,000 dollars is kind of what you're at there now you can do it cheaper you probably could get the 15,000 mark if you're really stretching it and I only spend money on the high touch items that guests will experience so that's the mattress. Our mattresses are under thousand dollars, but they're very good mattresses, right? The linens, premium, but they're still from Amazon. Like they're not from any crazy, like you know, mattress store or linen store.
1: You're not doing restoration hardware out
2: here. <laughs> <laughs> Over renovation. <laughs> oh, you know what my advertisement period would be for that? Like crazy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no. It, honestly, it's just it's just the high touch items, the couches. You need to make sure that they feel nice to sit on. They're good quality. They're not going to look shitty after you're having like 100 guests go through. So really spend that money on those items that will be used a lot, because at the end of the day, if they're going to be used, you're going to see the wear and tear. and You'll have to replace it anyway because someone's going to complain. So you might as well spend the extra bucks at the beginning. And set yourself up for success. So you don't have to order another couch, which would be a pain in the ass when you're trying mm-hmm. to have that running all the time, whatever listing it is, right?
0: Yeah. So this is really a question we should have asked at the beginning. This is the final question on my end, but uh how many units are you at at your Airbnb business? And how quickly did it take you to scale to that point? And at what point is when you started rapidly acquiring listings?
2: Yeah. So right now, like live, we're at 15. And we have quite a few that are not live that are going to be live soon. So we have, I think, eight or nine in the works right now. So wow. it's a lot of juggling. That's why I said at the beginning, I'm a little busy. So <laughs> I can't complain there. What really kind of, I said, what Catalyst me to expand and grow quite fast was the fact that I, it was actually, um, sorry, I had to think about this. Um, it was B&B Inner Circle. They really had And that's not a plug either. I'm I'm very honest. You guys know me, Austin and and Mayu. I'm brutally honest with this. They really just set up the systems and gave me the documents and I'd say the guidance in order to really systemize the place. Um, James is like he grew his portfolio like 50 in one year. And and so he really gave me guidance in that sense and helped me expand and grow in a way where I don't have things crashing down and uh, guests complaining left, right, and center, right? And I didn't feel as though I was like in my business. So that's kind of how I expanded. I definitely leveraged line of credits and those balance transfers as well. And Mm -hmm. now I do partner with people, which is also a great method to expand and grow as well. So JBing with arbitrage, which you never would have thought would have happened, but you definitely can do that too. So, and now we're doing JBs like, for actual buys as well. So yeah, that's kind of how I'm going.
0: <laughs> Sorry, J- JVs for arbitrage, the capital part, same thing with the regular JV, capital partner, active partner, and then profits yeah. 50-50, that sort of? Yeah. Exactly. Interesting. Okay, that's awesome. Maya, any yeah. any more questions on your end? Because we covered a lot, but yet, yeah. At the same time, we can make this podcast another
1: hour if we really wanted to. Because yeah, like, There's so much nitty gritty, right? But there's <laughs> a lot to unwind in this. It, it, it's a really good strategy. It sounds like uh, it, it's been really successful for you. And I think it just goes to show like a lot of our guests want to achieve financial independence and they all think like, you know, we have to buy like 50 different like apartment yeah. units of real estate. And sometimes it's not worth the headache. And it sounds like for you, you've gone there with a lot less with the heavier cash flowing strategy, right? So mm-hmm. that sounds great, Emily. So at this point in the podcast, we like to ask our guests two questions. The first is where do you see your business five years from now?
2: Great question. So obviously crushing it, um, but <laughs> um, in five years, we want to actually own and manage internationally at the Co So we want to be in at least three different countries by then. So we also want to be a seven figure revenue company. And um, the last thing for the Clairco is the ability for me to live that nomadic lifestyle traveling around and being able to just be I think the proper CEO and and not have to be too much in the business I definitely get my hands slapped a couple of times just I love doing that DIY stuff so I will guilty as charged be doing those (laughs) accent walls because it's just such a thrill for me to do it which is terrible to say but it is what it is and we're really expanding our business as well in terms of what we offer so we love design and I love design. We've had people reach out. So we definitely do interior design for people as well. So to build that branch out and have that running as like a proper arm would be uh very cool. So yeah, definitely. That's what we are doing. But you're starting to coach people as well, right? Um, so on November 1st, I'm going to start coaching people. B and B inner circle place didn't plug them before I swear, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely will be coaching people there. So I'm very excited about that because that's an international company and it totally aligns with our goals at my company. So I can really gain some insights in terms of those markets, especially down in the States. We want to get there within the next year, doing some stuff down there. Pretty cool numbers, can't lie. So that will be. And
1: so for, I guess, newer investors or I guess business operators are looking at this business as a way to, you know, maybe scale up and kind of achieve that financial independence as well. What kind of advice do you have to share with them?
2: I would definitely say, one, do your research, read your book, Airbnb for Dummies. That definitely can give you a good insight into what really revolves around running a short-term rental business in general. You can't start off right off the bat doing everything yourself. You really have to think of it strategically in a way where this is a business. So how can I do this in a way? And you're gonna go through pain points. It's gonna be way more of a pain in the ass to do it the right way than the wrong way and do it all yourself. But it will help you in the long run. So really set yourself up by creating those systems, creating those SOPs so that when you have to hire on new people, it's more of a seamless transition than if you have to do all SOP creation and you know, job description, hiring all that jazz while you're in the midst of it and while you're expanding, right? And really, really dial down on your numbers because that can totally ruin people because they will not do adequate research when it comes to what they should expect for gross revenue and compare themselves to people. You have to compare apples to apples. You cannot compare apples to oranges. You really have to compare yourself to your exact competitor in your market, whatever they're taking in, how long they're on the market for, then you can do your research and due diligence in terms of those numbers that are pumping out from your DNA. Do they make sense? Do we need to tweak them? That sort of thing. So mm-hmm. really do that before you sign that two-year lease because
0: it's not
2: gonna be fun if you uh mess those numbers up, right? You're on the hook.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And it just goes with any sort of business or investment. You need to make sure you run your numbers right. Because if you're not making a profit, you're just working for free for the next year. No one wants to do that, right? That's even worse than a full-time job. No money in your pocket. Emily, this was an amazing episode. Uh, I think you were actually our first guest where we actually dive this in depth about the operational side of things or really breaking down from the beginning to the end process of Airbnb. If people want to get in touch with you, learn more about your journey, or they want to coach under you, they want to break into the Airbnb space, how could they best get a hold of you?
2: Yeah, I am active on IG, Emily Belton08, on the IG, on the gram. Not so active on Facebook, but you can find me at Emily Belton. And that's how you can connect. Link on bio, have we definitely, I'm always down for a call, so definitely connect with me there.
0: Uh, well, I don't know if I'd say that. You're going to get like too many calls. <laughs> You're going to get like a
1: million calls. <laughs> <laughs>
2: okay, well, okay, well, you know what? It is what it is.
1: I'll
0: yeah. just do it as it does. <laughs>
1: You going to drop your number here, Emily, or what? Yeah, go
0: ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Show notes below. <laughs> <laughs> below. Show
1: notes below. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't want someone, like, you know, putting it remember when those tickets, when you put the number for, like, selling you know, like, <laughs> and then you get like 5 billion calls. Hey, so you're selling this to me, Burjakis? No, thank you. No, yeah. <laughs> who are you? So, yeah, no, that's where you can reach me. Always down to chat. I always like to give back as well. Like, just a year and a half ago, two years ago, I was just as new as everyone else. You know what I mean? In terms of the systems in the business. And so, I definitely like to give back to people because people gave back to me. So, I think that all goes full circle. And this has been a really cool experience. I cannot lie because you guys, I have been listening to you for a really long time. So low key little fangirling here. (laughs) But uh, I really appreciate you guys reaching out and um, having me on because it's been a blast.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm sure we're going to have you back on once you uh, continue scaling your business. It'd be interesting to see how your international expansion comes along. And another this is not really a plug, but like just another shout out to you when I was researching, I didn't get into Airbnb arbitrage. I decided against it. But when I was looking into it, you're gracious enough to spend, what was it, like an hour and a half on Zoom with me going through the 101s of Airbnb. So you definitely know your shit. I'll say that. So for those who are looking to actually eventually break in there, I'm sure Emily would be a great coach in that space. Anyways, if you guys enjoyed this episode, make sure to like, comment do whatever you can to support it share with a friend because it brings more listeners and more listeners mean more awesome guests like emily will jump on and until next time everyone invest smarter and live better take care all